People ask Chris and me all the time, what is the best online sports book? And that is an easy, easy answer. MyBookie.ag is the best online sports book, and it's not even close. Go check it out for yourself, MyBookie.ag. Check out their sports book. I'm telling you, they got two-day payouts. You can talk to somebody in English. You can chat with them online, call them, do whatever you need to. You can deposit however you want to. Best online sports book out there. They got live odds, the best live odds. They got the best early uh, lines. I'm telling you, everything about this place is awesome. So go check it out. Put in promo code WCE100 when you sign up. They're going to give you a 100% deposit bonus. Right off the bat, you're making money. You don't even have to do anything. It doesn't get any better than that. So check out mybookie.ag. I'm Gary Seegers. Catch me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And I'm Chris Giannini. Follow me at ChrisBGiannini. And this is the Winning Cures Everything podcast from winningcureseverything.com. Before we get started, please subscribe to the podcast, share it, and review it. We cannot stress how important those reviews are for iTunes rankings, so help us out. Those of us who love this sport live for nights like this. You are looking live at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. 40. 40 years. How about that? So here is fourth down. Can you believe it? It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts Jackson, and he scores on the last play of the game. Are you kidding me? Honey Badger don't care. This is Winning Cures Everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. Welcome in. Winning Cures Everything, number 146. This is the Tuesday, October 17th edition of the show. Uh, Chris and I did a version of this earlier that was uh, a little over an hour. And as I was editing the audio earlier, the file corrupted and was completely lost. And my backup file did the same thing. So we're going to try this one more time. I'm going to cut this down to about 15 minutes. Um, Let's go ahead and get started. This is the college football recap edition uh, for week seven. We're going to start with this. Ole Miss settled with Houston Nutt today. Uh, The official statement is... The lawyers who represent the university and Coach Nutt have communicated during the past few weeks to reach an agreement that would allow the parties to resolve Coach Nutt's claim while avoiding the costs and distractions associated with further litigation. The parties have reached such an agreement. This is absolutely comical to me. This whole line about avoiding costs and distractions associated with it, if Ole Miss had apologized months ago, when Houston Nutt actually asked for it. This was back in May that he had asked for an apology. Uh, The settlement, for those that don't believe that any money changed hands, that is just ridiculous. Uh, Houston Nutt would not go through this, and Tom Mars would not go through this without getting recouped something. The apology is a very important part of it. The statement from the University of Mississippi says certain statements made by university employees in January 2016 appear to have contributed to misleading media reports about Coach Nutt. To the extent any such statements harmed Coach Nutt's reputation, the university apologizes as this was not the intent. The NCAA's notice of allegations dated January 22, 2016 did not name or implicate Coach Nutt in any misconduct 
and it would have been inappropriate for any university employee to suggest otherwise. The statement from Houston Nutt on that says, I am pleased to put the lawsuit behind me. Best wishes to the future of the Ole Miss football program. It, this is not done by any means. What this basically means is Lee Tyner, the general counsel for Ole Miss, I would imagine is going to lose his job. Ross Bjork, for sure, is going to lose his job. It was proven that Bjork was involved in this, that he was one of the ones that was calling. Uh, he had a PR firm that was set up that was helping get through all of this. Uh, same thing with Kyle Campbell, the associate athletic director for communications at Ole Miss. Both of those guys will be gone. I would not imagine that they will be gone before the NCAA sanctions are handed down, and that will be either at the end of October or the beginning of November, or if the NCAA decides to do something completely unprecedented, they will wait until after the Egg Bowl, which will be at uh, the end of November, which will be around Thanksgiving. So, that is the idea on that. Um, Let's go ahead and run through the rest of these. Uh, My top 10 after week 7 is number 1 Alabama, number 2 Georgia, number 3 Penn State, Number four, TCU. Number five, Miami. Number six, Wisconsin. Number seven, Clemson. Number eight, Oklahoma. Number nine, Ohio State. And at number 10, I have UCF. That's the University of Central Florida. They are from the AAC. Chris had jumped in and told me that uh, he believed in UCF a lot. Um, And he, he talked about Oklahoma State, how much he liked them. He went back and forth with me on deciding whether or not Georgia should be ranked at two ahead of Penn State. In the AP and Coaches poll, Penn State is ranked number two, Georgia number three. I have it flip-flopped. I think that Georgia is a better football team than Penn State. There is no way for us to know that. It, it We're we're going over nothing here. You're not going to know who's better until the college football playoff anyway. But this does set up a good spot where we could end up seeing two SEC teams in the college football playoff. Because more than likely, with the way that things are looking currently, uh, if everything holds you know, status quo, you're going to have 12-0 Alabama against 12-0 Georgia in the SEC championship game. And depending on what happens in other conferences, you could easily end up with Alabama and Georgia in the playoff. That would be the first time that this has happened. But if you look at the other teams, I I do believe Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State are probably better than, you know, TCU, Miami, and Wisconsin. But I do think there is something to the fact that those teams have made it through seven weeks undefeated. That is not an easy thing to do, as you can see by the fact that Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State have all lost a ballgame to to much lower-ranked teams. Ohio State has a, a much better loss, their losses to Oklahoma. But Oklahoma got beat at home by Iowa State. Clemson loses on the road to uh, a a pretty good Syracuse team. A Syracuse team that uh, put a lot of fear into LSU earlier this year in Baton Rouge and put a lot of fear into NC State, who has just a manly NFL defensive line. So that is where I stand on those. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump into some of the game recaps. Uh, We'll go over the big upsets first. The, I guess the most shocking one of the weekend was Syracuse 27, number two Clemson 24. That was at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse. Syracuse uh, kicked a field goal to go up 27 to 24 with 9.41 left in the game. Clemson uh, went on an eight play 34 yard drive after that, which ended in a failed fake punt 
And that gave Syracuse the ball back with 6-10 left in the game. Now, the fake punt was just ludicrous. It was ridiculous. Um, It was awful. There's no other way to go about it. But that gave Syracuse the ball back at their own 41. And then from there, Clemson never got the ball back. Seriously, Syracuse went on a 12-play, 24-yard drive that lasted the entire 6 minutes and 10 seconds left in the game. Like, that is absolutely remarkable to me. Uh, from there, Dabo Sweeney showed his class. He went into the visiting locker room, and he congratulated the other team. He is just uh, an incredibly likable guy. He uh, he went from there. He hopped on a plane. He went to Tuscaloosa, Alabama for the 1992 National Championship reunion at the Alabama-Arkansas game, and Dabo was given a standing ovation when his name was called. Now, the, the reason that is so interesting. Dabo Sweeney was the starting wide receiver, or a starting wide receiver, on the 1992 Alabama National Championship team, and he is also the coach at Clemson who beat Alabama for the National Championship last year. So the fact that he was able to get a standing ovation in Bryant-Denny Stadium, it just goes to show you exactly how well-liked he is. Uh, the next big game was Cal 37, Washington State 3. All you need to know about this game is Washington State had seven turnovers. Cal had none. Luke Falk threw five interceptions. Wazoo lost two fumbles. Cal's defense played great. They held Washington State to only 23 yards rushing. And Chris and I talked earlier about how incredible uh, Mike Leach is that early in this first quarter, when you could just see that things weren't exactly clicking on offense, he absolutely laid into his offense and told him, you know, if this is the way it's going to be, then then go ahead. And, you know, at the, at the end of the game in the press conference, he called them, he called his team pathetic front runners. It was, you know, it's one of those things that you might not be able to get away with at, at big, big time places, but you can do that in Pullman, Washington. I mean, th- this guy, you know, he, he's only coached in Lubbock and Pullman. So he can get away with that kind of thing there. I love it. I think it's one of those where if your team begins to think that they should just be handed victories, uh, sometimes it takes a game like this to kind of bring them back to earth. So the next big game, the next big upset that we had, Arizona State 13 visiting Washington 7. Now, if you looked at the stats on this game, you would not have believed that these were the two teams that were playing. And this is like the uh, the Arizona-Houston game that Chris bet the over on earlier this year. And the over on that game was like 63, and the game ended up 19-16. to 16. Like, the point total of 20 points between these two teams is absurd because both of them have been averaging just tons of points. Both, all right, so Washington's defense is outstanding, but their offense has been averaging, you know, damn near 40 points. Arizona State, when they play, they have been averaging, you know, 35 to whatever points, uh, unless they're going up against a pretty good defense. They uh, they scored 24 on Stanford. They scored 20 on San Diego State. Uh, I mean, honestly, Washington just got physically beaten up in this ballgame. They missed two field goals. They were outgained 285 yards to 230. And Arizona State only had 40 yards rushing. Like, normally in a game like this, it's because of rushing yards. Like, this game was the epitome of, of hashtag Pac-12 after dark. And... I don't know that we'll see a game like this out of either one of these teams again for the rest of the year. Uh, as far as the big games that we picked, uh, Chris and I both picked Oklahoma. Oklahoma won 29-24. to 
Uh, Oklahoma went up 17 to nothing, and Texas came back and was leading 24 to 23 until Baker Mayfield threw a 59-yard touchdown pass with 6:53 left in the game. Texas played pretty well in it. I think they are still about a six and six football team this year, but you got to check out this stat: Texas ran the ball 39 times, 25 of those were by their quarterbacks. So they only ran the ball 14 times with running backs. Sam Ellinger, at their quarterback, who's a freshman, ran 22 times for 110 yards and a touchdown. He passed 19 out of 39 for 278 yards and a TD. And this kid is going to be awesome going forward. Keep keep an eye out on Texas. They are not quite there yet, but they will be soon enough. I, I'm seeing good things out of them. Uh, the next big game, Georgia Tech 24, Miami 25. Now, this was a monsoon game. If you did not watch this game, go back and watch some of the footage from it because it's just ridiculous. It had to be absolutely miserable for fans to sit through this. Miami kicked the game-winning field goal with four seconds left on the clock, and and that's only because of a fourth down, a fourth and ten miracle pass from uh, Malik Rozier to Daryl Langham. It was 28 yards to the Georgia Tech 15 with only 42 seconds left. And this was just an insane game. Miami out, uh, outgained Georgia Tech 481 yards to 281. And somehow, in doing that, Georgia Tech held on to the football for 36 minutes, just 24 for Miami. Like, it's it's just insane. Uh, next big game, TCU 26, Kansas State 6. There's not a whole lot to take away from this. It, it kind of felt like the TCU-Arkansas game where the stats don't really look like TCU dominated, but they absolutely did on the scoreboard. Uh, Kansas State was down 20-6 to with about five minutes left in the third quarter, and they went for it on a fourth and one from the TCU 8. They didn't get it, and that, that pretty much put a bow on it. Like it, Things would have been a lot different if it was 20-13 to at that point, but 20-6, to and then TCU gets the ball back. I'm not going to take anything away from this because the game was delayed by lightning for basically half the day. I mean, they were supposed to kick off at 11 a.m. I think they got done playing at like 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. Central. It, it was just very difficult for, for basically everybody involved. The next game that we picked, uh, by the way, Chris and I both picked Miami and uh, TCU in those last two. Um, on this one, I picked Auburn and Chris picked LSU. And Chris picked LSU mainly out of love for his team because it, if you don't know, he is a huge LSU fan. We ended up talking about this one a lot. Um, I, I don't know what happened. Auburn jumped out 20 to nothing early. They were up 23 to 14 at the half thanks to a late touchdown uh, in that second quarter by LSU. And and then Auburn did nothing in the second half. It, it looked basically like what Auburn did against Clemson, only LSU scored points in the second half. Like Stidham, Jared Stidham, who for all the hype that he was given before this season because of you know what Gus Malzahn can do with with good quarterbacks, et cetera, et cetera. In the second half of this game, Stidham went two for thirteen for six yards in the second half. Like LSU had an eighty-five yard punt return for a touchdown. Uh, that cut it to 23-21 early in the fourth quarter. And from there, they went on several drives that flipped field position, and they got a couple of field goals super late. Dave Aranda's defense blitzed all day long. They set up the blueprint to be able to beat Auburn. Bottom line is, if you can get pressure on the quarterback, you are going to be able to stop that offense, period. There there was nothing they could do at that point. They couldn't run it. They couldn't, they couldn't get any passes off. 
Stidham looked like a deer in headlights, and it was beyond incredible to see LSU do something like that. Chris gives a lot of the credit to Aranda. He gives a lot of credit to uh, the magical force that surrounds Les Miles, who was there to celebrate the 2007 National Championship. And I, I might be with him. He he had a lot of good points on that. And so he and I will be talking about uh, more stuff on Wednesday, so we may have to bring that one back up. Um, the next game that we discussed, I picked Memphis to win the game. He picked Navy. Uh, Memphis won 30-27. Navy had five turnovers to just one for Memphis. I, I still... I. I picked Memphis just because of homerism and because I, I felt like maybe they'd be able to get Navy's number this year. I mean, they've they've won several, what is it, I believe it's three straight games against top 25 opponents in the Liberty Bowl. Well, this one made it four. Memphis has seven starters out on defense. And, and Navy kept the ball for 37 minutes to 23 for Memphis. Somehow Memphis still found a way to win, thanks mostly to turnovers. Uh, Navy's Zach Aby was one of seven passing for 20 yards and two interceptions, and he fumbled four times, and he lost three of them. So Memphis is now in the AP Top 25. They're heading into a Thursday night game at Houston this week where they are three-point underdogs. Another game that we did not pick, but I feel like we need to talk about anyway, Texas A&M 19 at Florida 17. Florida football is just incredibly painful to watch. Like, I, I hate watching this football team. If you watch the game, Florida outrushed A&M 242 yards to 83. And A&M's Kellen Mond was 8 of 24 passing for, and just sit down for this. Eight completions for 180 yards. He had one interception. But eight completions for 180 yards, that's 22.5 yards per completion. Like, he was slinging the ball down the field. And at this point, Florida fans have just got to be so infuriated with this team. Jim McElwain, it, it, the number here is also surprising. McElwain is 5-11 and 11 when the opponent scores more than 14 points, and I was a little surprised that out of 33 games that Mac has coached at Florida, only 16 times has the opponent scored more than 14 points. This year, though, the opponent has scored more than 14 in all six games, and Florida's 3-3. Three and three. That means he was 2-8 and eight before this season when the opponent scores more than 14. Like, that number is just ludicrous to me. All right, let's move into uh, the hot seat rankings here. Butch Jones, after a 15-9 loss at home to South Carolina, he has now gone 10 straight quarters without a touchdown, his offense. And he's got games at Alabama and at Kentucky coming up. The fan base is completely out on this guy. The locker room appears to have problems. For those that are curious why he has not been fired yet, here's the deal. Athletic director John Curry does not want to fire a coach in the middle of the season. And for those that think it's a good move to go on and do it, to get started towards you know, hiring the next guy, the next guy notices. Because if things go bad, they don't want the rug pulled out from under them. There are a lot of ADs out there that will go ahead and make a move like this, but he is not one of them. He doesn't want to have to do that. So my guess is Butch Jones will be there until the end of the season, and then he will be fired after that. And that's, that's just the way it goes. Uh, it, the same thing happened with Alabama with, uh, uh, good gracious, with one of the Mikes, whichever one. Mike Shula, excuse me. Um, everybody knew that Mike Shula was fired after he lost to Mississippi State in Sylvester Croom back in 2006. Mal Moore is not the kind of guy that is going to fire a coach 
in the middle of the year. And even if he does, he's not going to fire him and not let him finish out the year. So in this instance, I would imagine Butch Jones is there until the very last game, but it is pretty obvious right now he is not going to be back next season. Uh, next up on the list, Mike Riley. He is uh, he lost 56-14 at home to Ohio State. Everybody is getting blasted by Ohio State. That's not the problem. The game was, was worse than even the score indicated, if it can be worse than a 42-point loss. Uh, his AD was fired. The team just looks hapless. I would imagine that that this is going to, you know, since uh, since Nebraska did hire in Washington State's athletic director, I would imagine you were going to hear Mike Leach's name associated with that job a lot. But there's just nothing that Mike Riley can do here. Um, he's it's a mediocre coach in a a job that expects more than that. Next up on the list, Brett Bielema. Lost 41-9 at Alabama. They did not have their starting quarterback. You can't hold a loss to Alabama against basically anybody right now. But the Razorbacks are 2-5 and five so far this year. And Bielema is 10-25 and 25 in the SEC with Auburn coming to town next week. Things are not going well in Fayetteville. And the recent revelation that came out that, that Bielema's buyout was going to be closer to $5 million as opposed to fifteen million will let you know that at the end of the season, Jeff Long is probably going to have to let him go. Boosters, fans, everybody is they're they're getting out on Bielema. He just can't seem to get it done. And I'm not sure what it is. It may be the lack of talent around it, but this team has no identity. They had identity in the first three years. And then something switched, and I don't know if it was the lack of of the players to fit his system or what it is, but he he is not able to build on anything there in Fayetteville. They're two and five right now. They got Auburn coming to town. They'll probably be two and six. And I don't think that they can win their last four ball games to get to a bowl game. So there Bielema is going to be out. They're not going to make a bowl game for the uh I think the second time in his tenure, maybe third time. Um not a good thing though. Definitely not a good thing. Jim Mora at UCLA UCLA lost 47 to 30 this past weekend. That's three and three this year after going four and eight last year. And the rumor mill has already started up about Chip Kelly being interested in the UCLA job. That makes perfect sense. Chip Kelly had all of his success at Oregon in the Pac-12. The issue here is does Mora's $10 million buyout play into it? I don't know whether UCLA cares enough about football to make a power play like this. They are not in the business of paying coaches to not coach their team. So, I don't know that they will hang around with Mora long enough to uh, to let him work out that contract. There's just too many years left, and it doesn't look like this team is getting any better. Uh, but, I mean, are, are they willing to put up the big money to get Chip Kelly? Because you know there's going to be teams that are going to offer him. Barry Odom at Missouri. Look, if anybody else wanted this job after Gary Pingle resigned... I think Missouri would have hired them rather than Odom. Chris brought up a good point when we were talking earlier. He said, sometimes you get promoted to the point of failure. Barry Odom was a fantastic defensive coordinator. He was only the D.C. at Missouri for one year. He had been at Memphis under Justin Fuente before that, and he got hired in at Missouri, and then Pinkle resigned, and nobody wanted the job. And the deal is Odom only makes $2.6 million a year. That's the lowest in the SEC. So Missouri would gladly fire him and bring somebody else. But the problem here is who wants to go and take over that mess? I mean, it is a cesspool in Columbia, Missouri. 
I, I don't know of anybody that would want the Missouri job. If they were going to bring in somebody else, they have to bring in somebody, as Chris pointed out earlier to me, they need to bring in somebody from a much lower school. Like, not not a Memphis, not a UCF, because those guys are making close to what Odom is making now anyway. But you need to bring in a, you know, a Neil Brown at Troy. You need to bring in a Bill Clark. Somebody that's making $600,000, and you can bump them up and really make a significant difference for them. Next one up, Jim McElwain. I don't know that he gets fired this year, but their offense is absolutely putrid. Mac has won two straight SEC East titles. To me, that's got to count for something, I think. I mean, maybe not, but two straight SEC East division titles. I think he's got another year or two before they drop him, but this year is really bad. They are two plays away from being 1-5, and five, and honestly, two plays away from being 5-1. and one. The only game that they really got dominated was the Michigan game. And I believe, I just, the defense is good enough to win a few more ball games this year. But I mean, this team has Georgia, South Carolina, um, Florida State left. I mean, they, they could, and, and their cupcake game is UAB. And UAB is four and two right now, and they are playing lights out. So there is a, a real chance they're sitting at three and three. They could end up three and eight possibly four and seven before the end of the season there I don't see them going bowling this year I just I don't buy it uh Kevin Sumlin is the last one he was on the hot seat they're five and two right now they won in the swamp at Florida this past weekend uh they sit at three and one in the SEC his remaining schedule is Mississippi State Auburn New Mexico State at Ole Miss and LSU and you know honestly Sumlin could win every game remaining on the schedule. They've got the talent to do it. They could end up 10-2 and two in the SEC. Like, realistically, they probably lose to LSU or Auburn, and they'll go 9-3. and three. But it, Sumlin looks like he's going to win enough games to be able to keep his job for this season. I, I, I'm a little surprised by that. It depends on how much the, the brass at A&M really want him out or if he just gets tired of all the pressure and he ends up taking a different job. Because I, I think there would be uh, no number of of places that would be willing to hire him I, I think there's a lot of places that would be willing to give him an opportunity to start over and he might be willing to take it the hot coaching names that might end up moving on at the end of the season Mike Leach uh, we talked earlier his AD uh, has moved on to Nebraska he asked for an extension twice at Washington State and was denied the new Washington State president is more focused on cutting costs than he is on having a successful football program and I don't think that's going to play well with Leach. You know, you you got to be able to put money in if you want to have a successful team. I think Leach wants to win. And as long as he had support at Washington State, he was going to be fine. I don't know what that support looks like now. And if there's no sitting AD when this season is over, I could see him leaving for a bigger job. Bobby Petrino at Louisville. Uh, Louisville took a loss at home to Boston College, 45-42. to this past weekend, I, I'm curious if he has already checked out. His AD was fired uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he may already be talking to other schools. The buyout for him dropped to uh, just a little over $4 million. That is chump change to a lot of these big money boosters. He may end up at Tennessee. He could end up at it, any number of places. Um, coach, uh, ADs are incredibly forgiving when coaches win and Petrino knows how to win in the SEC he proved it at Arkansas I could I could see Tennessee going after him 
Uh, Scott Frost at UCF. He's only in year two. He uh, took over a program that went 0-12 the year before he got there. He took them to 6-6 six and six and a in uh, a bowl appearance last year. He is currently 5-0 and this year. They are in my top 10. They are in the top, uh, I believe, 17 or 18 in the AP and coaches poll. I don't see a loss on the rest of their schedule. Like, I, I, they play, they host South Florida in the last game of the year. They play at Navy this weekend. I mean, this is just a fantastic football team. Offense, defense, they've got the highest uh, point differential in the country over Alabama, over Ohio State. They absolutely blast teams when they play them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think Frost will be moving on. I don't think he goes to Nebraska. You don't want to go home. You don't want to go to your alma mater. There's too much pressure to win, and and you would hate to, to be on the outs, kind of the same way that Mike Shula was at Alabama. You know, it, it, you, you hate to be in that position. Uh, Mike Norvell at Memphis. Memphis is now number 25 in the AP poll. They beat Navy this past weekend. Uh, they've beaten two top 25 teams, at least at the time they played them this year. And they're 5-1 and one on the season, even with five star- or, uh, sorry, seven starters out on defense. Like, I, I stand by this. I think Norvell is going to go to Arkansas. His wife is from Fort Smith. He played uh, college football at Central Arkansas. I, I think he ends up there at the end of this season. Uh, next one up, Chad Morris at SMU. SMU is four and two. They've improved every year under Morris. They started out two and ten in his first year, five and seven last year. They're at four and two now. He's going to get picked up by somebody this season if he feels like moving. Like he he may feel like he's got all the support that he needs in Dallas. Um, remember, he created the offense that Clemson ran to a national championship with Deshaun Watson, and he is. He's a lights-out coach. He knows how to build a program. He is building it in Dallas at SMU right now. He is going to do somebody some big-time favors. Uh, the next name that Chris decided to throw in there, I think it's a great one, Bill Clark at UAB. He has got UAB at 4-2. and two. In the year before UAB went down, before they, they decided to uh, close off the football program for a couple of years, he took UAB from a two and ten football team to a six and six team in one year. So they were two and ten before he got there. They went six and six when he got there, and I he's four and two this year. And remember, this is a team that didn't play the last two years. So he's doing just wonderful things in Birmingham. I don't know that they're going to be able to keep him because my gosh, they they don't have the money to be able to pay him because somebody's going to offer him a big, big time job. But Bill Clark is definitely somebody to keep an eye on. The next name I tossed on here is not because he's doing great this year. Larry Fedora, uh, North Carolina is one in six this year. Fedora only makes $1.8 million per year. I, I think that he may end up being the next coach at Ole Miss. Uh, that's the only reason that I bring his name up here. He was the coach at Southern Miss before he took over at North Carolina. He took over in 2012, and he is, honestly, uh, he did really good things in Chapel Hill it, with, with the limited resources that he was given. He, he does, North Carolina does not support their football program like they do the basketball program, and he was still able to win at a pretty significant rate. Uh, they won at Florida State in, in a big year for Florida State, um, they went 11-2 and two one year, made it to the ACC championship game, and was within a play away from beating 
uh, Clemson that year. That was the year that Alabama beat Clemson for the national championship. And look, Larry Fedora is a pretty good coach. Nobody's talking about the fact that he's got, you know, 14, 15, 16, whatever it is, starters out this year. So, uh, Fedora, I think, would be a good fit at Ole Miss. It would be a cheaper hire. It's a good starting over position for him because things are not going great in Chapel Hill right now. Um, I think it's it'd be somewhere good for him to get out, maybe make a little bit more money, get a little more support from his program. I would look for Fedora to move to Oxford. Uh, Heisman Trophy list, we'll close out with this. Uh, my, my Heisman top five, I've got Bryce Love at Stanford. Uh, he's just otherworldly, insanely good running back. Saquon Barkley, another insanely good running back. He's probably the top of the list for most people, uh, but he's at Penn State. Baker Mayfield, quarterback at Oklahoma. Uh, he turns it on and off whenever he wants to. It depends on how much he wants to win a game. He can get a little turned off in, or disinterested in games sometimes. Um, but when he wants to make plays, he's got a little Johnny football in him. I put Jalen Hurts on the list from Alabama. He's got great numbers, even though there's only been two games this year that he's played the full game. Um, they, they're blowing out teams at such a ridiculous level right now that I don't know I don't know if if he'll be able to get the kind of stats that he needs to be able to win a Heisman Trophy but with bigger games coming up they've got LSU they've got Auburn they've got the SEC championship game if he does lights out things in those games and Alabama ends up 14 and0 again you could easily see him jumping up to the pack or up to the top of the pack. If Saquon Barkley takes a loss, if Baker Mayfield uh, doesn't make it to, you know, the uh, the Big 12 championship game, if Bryce Love tapers off, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the next names on the list, it, Chris wanted me to take off JT Barrett. And I'm throwing in Barrett here because, yes, the Oklahoma game really hurt him, but he's got monster games coming up. And he's got big games against Michigan State that'll be national televised, Penn State, uh Michigan, you know, the Big Ten Championship game possibly. Since the Oklahoma loss, his touchdown-to-interception ratio is 21 touchdowns to one interception. They are absolutely blasting teams. It looks like they've got that offense fixed. We will see when they play a decent defense. But right now, his numbers look otherworldly. The name that Chris wanted on here instead of JT Barrett is Eric Dungy. Chris has watched Eric Dungy at Syracuse, the quarterback, uh, in three full games this year. He absolutely uh, put the fear of God into LSU and NC State. They probably could have, should have, we'll just say could have won both of those games. Uh, And those are significant defenses. I mean, just great defenses. And then last Friday against possibly the best defense in the country with Clemson, he methodically drove down the field time and time again against Clemson and put up big, big numbers. Uh, I don't know that Syracuse is going to win enough games for anybody to take him seriously, but I do agree with Chris on this. Eric Dungy will be an NFL quarterback. He's got the size. He's got the arm strength. He's got the accuracy. He can make his reads. That's a really, really good quarterback. So keep an eye on Eric Dungy, especially when the NFL draft comes around. All right, uh, that is going to wrap it up for today. Um, We will be back, and hopefully we won't have any more audio issues. Uh, But Chris and I will be back talking NFL and whatnot on Wednesday's show. 
And then Thursday, we will have our picks. And Friday, we will have our big game previews. Until then, that's going to wrap it up. It's time for the rundown. Remember, check out winningcureseverything.com. You can give us a like on Facebook, facebook.com slash winningcureseverything. You can follow us on Twitter, at winningcures. You can follow myself, at GaryWCE. You follow me at Chris B. Giannini, C-H-R-I-S-B-G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I. You can also email the show. That's winningcureseverything at gmail.com. And we now have a voicemail line. That number is 551-226-9899. If you want to call and bash us for talking bad about your favorite team or praise us or just tell us about how awesome your team is doing, leave us a voicemail. That number again is 551-226-9899. And we may toss it on the show. Thank you for supporting this show. And until next time, have a good one, guys. Hey, don't forget, subscribe to the Winning Cures Everything podcast on iTunes and make sure you leave a review. For every 25 written five-star reviews we get on iTunes, we are donating to St. Jude's Children's Hospital and Le Bonheur's Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. So subscribe and review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and all your favorite podcast apps. Remember, the Winning Cures Everything podcast.